Voice of St. Louis original podcast. This is the STL All Local podcast from the KMOX Newsroom, and we've got everything you need rounded up from across St. Louis. Our top story on this Tuesday, April 4th, the 34-count indictment against former President Donald Trump did not have as much information as some may have wanted. St. Louis attorney Chet Pleben tells the Dave Glover Show it appeared to be a list of hush money checks with little context. Frankly, I thought in this particular case there would be a, a lot of narrative, a lot of, uh, of uh, speaking type indictment as to where this was going. He says the New York prosecutor will have to prove payments made to the list of people was intended to help Mr. Trump win the 2016 election. Missouri Republican Congresswoman Ann Wagner says she has issues with the prosecution of the former president. You know, we've got two problems here. He's undermining America's faith in our in our justice system again. And uh, and he should be focused on fighting crime rather than weaponizing the justice system. I- The man who admitted murdering a prominent Edwardsville attorney now wants to change his guilty plea, but the Madison County prosecutor is fighting that. State's attorney Tom Haynes says it's too late for Timothy Banowitz to withdraw his guilty plea for the 2020 murder of attorney Randy Gorey. The family of Randy Gorey has gone through so much. This is just stirring it up again. We think it's meritless. And we intend to argue as such in front of the judge. The 32-year-old Banowitz is serving a 70-year sentence for the killing. He now claims he was coerced into making the plea bargain and that his request to change his mind got lost in the prison mail, causing him to miss the deadline. A status hearing in that case is set for April 13th. Obtaining a business license in St. Louis City is not an easy process, and that's why a group of business owners has sent a letter to the city asking for the system to be revamped. Danny Eichenhorst owns several businesses and is the CEO of Hustle Hospitality. She knows first hand, there are a lot of problems. Steve's Hot Dogs, our first opening on South Grand, when we went through the liquor license process there, it delayed our opening by three weeks. When we went through it at the Fountain on Locust, the process was even longer, and that was for a purchase. So if somebody is selling a business, the liquor license is attached to the original owner. So Joy, who used to own the fountain, it was attached to her. So if I would have just bought the business, I actually would have invalidated our liquor license. That delayed opening the Fountain on Locust by five months. The automatic board president has already reached out to Eichenhorst, though, and said a red tape commission is being established to find solutions for the delays. Maria Aquina, KMOX. News. Now, the latest from Missouri's capital. The chair of the Missouri Senate Appropriations Committee says they will restore funding for libraries that was cut from the House version of the state budget. Senator Lincoln Huff says $4.5 million will be restored after House members removed it in apparent retaliation. They were upset about lawsuits against a state law banning sexually explicit materials in school libraries. A bill on ballot petition reform gained initial passage in the Missouri House today. Representative Mike Hafner admits it makes amending the state constitution more difficult but believes it should require a higher standard. We have added such policy as marijuana to the Missouri Constitution. Topics such as this or others may deserve some statutory language, but in my view, it does not belong in our Constitution. The bill outlines how petitions must be formatted and outlines who may challenge a bill. Title HBO 703 needs a House final House vote before advancing to the Senate. The KMOX business desk, another volley in the food fight price war. Deerberg's calls Schnook's new price comparisons just flat out wrong. Deerberg says the numbers on those mock-up receipts hanging in Schnook's stores are, quote, not in direct comparison to like items in our stores. Deerberg's also says Schnucks is pulling the supposed Deerberg's prices from an industry database, not off-shelf tags. Schnucks responds with a statement which says they stand behind their campaign. So KMOX called up renowned retail analyst Bert Flickinger for an impartial take. In our prior uh, price studies of St. Louis pre-COVID, 
but they, they were pretty consistent over the years. It's Aldi uh, would be the low price leader. Uh, Walmart for every dollar of sales uh, would be would be a couple two to three cents higher than Aldi. Uh, Schnucks would be five to six cents higher than Walmart, and uh, Deerberg's would be a couple cents higher than Schnucks. So all all relatively close. A local developer who's faced issues with projects in St. Louis City now turning their sights to St. Charles. Lux Living is proposing a six-story, 280-unit apartment complex and hotel adjacent to the Ameristar Casino. The St. Charles City Council gives preliminary consideration for the plan at tonight's meeting. CBS News special report with Donald Trump now airborne on his way back to Florida and an expected appearance before supporters and microphones about three hours from now. Manhattan's District Attorney Alvin Bragg gave details of the indictment filed against the former president. It accuses Trump of a conspiracy to illegally influence the 2016 election through several money payments to suppress negative information about him. Speaking specifically about the alleged Trump payments to adult entertainer Stormy Daniels through his ex-lawyer Michael Cohen. He could not simply say that the payments were a reimbursement for Mr. Cohen's payments to Sandy to Stormy Daniels. To do so, to make that true statement, would have been to admit a crime. So now Trump is accused of 34 of them. He pleads not guilty. This is not just about the story of Donald Trump. It's a story about the American presidency being tested in a way we haven't really seen in a criminal sense since Richard Nixon. CBS News correspondent Robert Costa. CBS News Special Report. I'm Tom Foti. And joining us now is KMOX legal analyst uh, Brad Young, this is a 16-page indictment. What stands out to you? What, what What's the core of the argument? Well, what stands out is, is a tactic that prosecutors use called stacking, where one activity can actually be used to generate multiple offense counts. So, for example, as I read through all of, of the, the complete le- list of the indictments, if a check was written to Michael Cohen, then that was deemed one count of business fraud. Once that uh, that check was registered in the Trump Organization ledger, that was listed as a second count of fraud. And so for every legal bill that was paid regarding Michael Cohen, as it pertained to Stormy Daniels, each one of those activities could generate between two and four different felony counts. Now, this is a common tactic that prosecutors use to generate a large number of counts in an indictment and therefore increase the odds that one of those might stick in terms of a jury convicting the defendant. So we're seeing that operating here, just like prosecutors use that in many instances across the country. People are listening and and thinking, all right, leading up to this, uh, we heard all about, it's about Stormy Daniels, it's about payments to Stormy Daniels, uh, but the indictment lays out uh, a long series of checks uh, that have been written involving the National Enquirer uh, executive beyond just Stormy Daniels. It does. And in fact, the, the issue with the National Enquirer, I believe, revolves around payments made uh, to Karen McDougal, who was another person who received money, uh, hush money, so-called hush money. And so all of those equally generate multiple counts of the felony. So that's how we get to 34 counts in the indictment because of the way that each activity can actually trigger several different crimes. Now, I believe that this uh, this describes... Potential scandals, allegations that could be scandals where the National Enquirer would uh, pay the sources, take on the story, and then not run the story? That was the relationship that Donald Trump had apparently with the National Enquirer for years. 
that people would uh, approach the National Enquirer with allegations of a story and that the National Enquirer, as you said, would pay for the story, but then the Trump organization uh, would pay back the National Enquirer to essentially bury the story. Uh, That was uh, apparently a method that they operated under for many years. Is that illegal or is it I understand that part of part of what went wrong here, allegedly, according to the D.A., is where the money came from, how the the path that the money took, not necessarily that the money was used for this purpose. Well, the whole question becomes whether or not the intent of all of those payments were to subvert election laws. That's really uh, the inflection point on this entire case, because all of the business records charges would be misdemeanors and the statute of limitations would be expired unless it was used to commit the crime of under the Federal Elections Commission of withholding that money or not including those payments as campaign contributions. And so that's going to be the focal point of the Trump defense as to whether or not any of those charges actually violate federal election commission laws. And one of the things we heard uh, come out of the unsealed indictment is that uh, it's described as a scheme and that it began in 2015, which would have uh, been right before the 2016 election. That's true. That's in the indictment. However, if you look at the history regarding the National Enquirer, I believe that that pattern of conduct went back before then. But of course, that's not included in this particular indictment. So what happens from here? We've we've seen the former president leave New York. He's headed back to Florida. We'll hear more from him tonight. Legally speaking, what's the next step in all this? Well, normally in a normal case, which of course this is not, in a normal case you would start what's called the discovery phase where the parties exchange information, evidence, documents, and so forth. But in this case, I think what you'll see before that is a flurry of dismissal motions filed by the Trump defense team to either dismiss one or more or all of the charges He'll, uh, his team will also file requests to have Alvin Bragg, the prosecuting attorney, uh, removed from the case under conflict of interest. And there will also be motions to disqualify the judge on the grounds of conflict of interest. Will all of this happen relatively quickly or is this going to be not just weeks or months, but potentially a year? How long could this go for? Yeah, this is going to be a months long process, Michael, because each of those individual motions are then subject to file an appeal of those. And so if you if you even assume there's a minimum of 15 motions, when the judge rules on each of those motions, you'll then have appellate issues with regard to each of those motions. This could be a very long process. You'll be here to help us through it all. KMOX legal analyst Brad Young, thank you so much. You're welcome. Thank you for listening. I'm Michael Calhoun. Subscribe on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Another update in the morning.